Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared and host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS industry thought leaders, executives, and people just like you to discuss what metrics, KPIs, and benchmarks they use to enable better data-driven metrics-informed decisions that accelerate revenue performance and increase enterprise value. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Jared Robin, co-founder of Rev Genius. Today, we'll be covering three main areas with Jared. Rev Genius, the story behind the vision. How will Rev Genius members measure the value of being a member of their community? And what are the metrics and KPIs that will define success for Rev Genius? Jared, please take a moment to give a brief background and overview of what led you to being a guest on the Metrics That Measured Up podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So a little background on how we got here today. I started Rev Genius with my partner, Galen Gurmai, five months ago, give or take a little bit. And we found a problem or what we perceive to be a problem or a challenge in salespeople and revenue people's lives and created a community around it to address it. And, you know, there's more story behind that, but that's the simple part of it. We executed relentlessly at it, grew quite fast, and we're excited about the future and excited to be here today to talk about it. Well, we're going to get into that story behind Rev Genius in just a minute, but Jared, you have a very eclectic background from University of Sydney in Australia to Penn State Nittany Lions to FedEx to founding Rev Genius, and not to mention your model opportunity in front of a white DeLorean. Tell us what led you to founding Rev Genius. Yeah, that's a great question. So, in regards to founding Rev Genius and, and that whole pathway to it, super eclectic. I was always entrepreneurial since high school, built my first business plan, although didn't build a business from it. Got a bit more practical post-college where I went to work at FedEx. My supply chain background from Penn State led me there. Now, the reason why I majored in supply chain was because I asked which major could set me up to be an entrepreneur the most, the best chance. But of course, fear, practicality, and wanting to get out of my house after school led me to take a job with a Fortune 100 company, phenomenal company, FedEx, worked there for seven years, but you know, still was pining for that entrepreneurial journey, left FedEx, part of some early stage startup companies with varying levels of success, learned quite a bit. And what led me ultimately to Rev Genius, frankly, COVID set the play a little bit. I was jobless and asked myself a simple question, what opportunity is there? In every downturn or every downtime, there's always an opportunity. What is it? And it didn't feel like it was from getting the next job. And I saw an opportunity that wasn't being addressed with the community that we founded. Saw, frankly, a lot of events happening, webinars, et cetera. And it was quite fragmented. It was coming from different companies, different sales trainers, different sales agencies, different communities, et cetera. And there was no unifying place. So the first vision was to create something like Eventbrite for everything. And it eventually evolved into Rev Genius because along the way, we created a LinkedIn group of people that we were essentially just giving a Google sheet to of all the events, Galen and myself trying to execute the original vision and realize people were more involved, committed, and wanting to be around each other than the events. So we doubled down on that into Rev Genius. 
Well, necessity is the mother of many inventions, right? I mean, in 2008 and 2009, companies like Slack, Twilio, and Uber, they were all founded during the last recession. So it makes total sense to me. But you know what's interesting, Jared? There are so many B2B sales communities that have been founded over the last couple of years. You're looking at Sales Hacker and then Bravado and Modern Sales Pros, Revenue Collective. What's different about RevGenius? Yeah, this is an awesome question. And this is something that led me to found RevGenius, frankly, because every single community you listed, I was a part of. And I think that tells the better story of the niche there. And how we looked at the landscape was that there was some communities, there were some clubs, and there was a vibe of exclusivity or non-inclusiveness or inaccessibility for a majority of them. Like we didn't see any that felt truly open and truly accessible to everybody from an SDR to a CRO. And also that was part of a broader revenue picture with marketing people and RevOps folks, especially in a climate where every single title could lead to that CRO today. It's not the VP of sales always getting promoted to the CRO. It could be the VP of marketing. It could be the VP of ops. So trying to look at this holistically and also empathizing with people in the revenue space, it seemed like it was lacking from other places or not, maybe not lacking, but not being doubled down on. And in the revenue space as a professional, these are some of the most stressful jobs right? You're responsible for the bottom and top lines of growth, depending on your position, your company's goals, and you're often feet to the fire, right? So a lot of times people weren't getting the empathy at their companies that they needed. Sometimes people had really short leashes, you know, whether it's like a three month ramp to hit your numbers or you're out on the street, et cetera. And more and more people weren't hitting goals from a sales perspective and a numbers perspective, and they just needed somebody to empathize with their plight. And we felt that there was a good amount of folks that could use us still, even with what was in the space. Jared, you said something that I wasn't aware of, and I want to explore this a little bit more because our company is called RevOps Squared. And we've been conducting some research with organizations like HubSpot and GoNimbly and RingDNA all about revenue team alignment between marketing, sales, customer success, and the evolution of revenue operations as a function. Tell me a little bit more, because having a community where just marketing people can collaborate with salespeople who can collaborate with customer success people, this sounds like a great way to break down those barriers and reduce friction. Is that part of your vision? Yeah. So it's super interesting because you have a function like an SDR, sometimes reporting to marketing and sometimes reporting to sales already, right? So this is happening. You have a salesperson today needing to learn marketing skills to sell. It's no more cold calling, hey, do you have a minute? Product-centric, 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 product-centric. Everything you do has to be customer-centric. Today, a salesperson is thinking more like a marketer than ever. I've been a salesperson for 14 years. The book I'm reading right now is Ogilvy on advertising, and I'm not the only one right? This is happening more and more. And and you have people now, we talk about personal branding on LinkedIn, salespeople, they're as active as anybody doing that. And this isn't outbound sales. This is putting certain copy down that attract people inbound. This is the definition of marketing. (laughs) So having these people communicate, et cetera, like that with one another is really where it's going. And to that point as well, we have a podcast launching called the Revenue Podcast. What are we doing with it? Well, we have different tracks under the same umbrella. So it's not a sales podcast, marketing, rev ops, leadership. 
It, it is all of those, but it's under the same name. And what I suspect seeing, a sales track person might interview a marketing person on how to sell better, et cetera. So definitely seeing that a lot. And we're trying to really foster that because I see that moving forward in the future. And those companies that you said you conducted studies with are phenomenal. We had a HubSpot and GoNimbly event today. So like we're speaking to the same people, seeing a lot of the same things and really excited. Yeah, in fact, I am actually leading the research in combination with Maggie Butler and Lorena, who was on. <laughs> see, well, small world. The small, small world. You know, <laughs> now that we're going to get into product strategy here on the podcast, but the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking about breaking down these barriers and maybe sales talking to marketing, we're talking to everyone about how you need to have an outside-in approach to understand the buyer journey and the customer experience. Hell, just having a buyer come in and talk to your membership might be something very different that none of these sales communities are doing. They're focused on the sales process, not the buyer and the buying process. Can I tell you something so interesting? That is a phenomenal idea. Josh Braun, a phenomenal sales trainer, is a huge advocate of when you come into a sales role, speak to X number of customers or clients that started within the last 30 to 45 days and ask them, why did they buy your product specifically? What were they doing before? And more stuff around their decision-making process specifically for your product. And the logic if you hear it, it's clear. If it's not clear right away is there's other people going through those same pains, the same exact ones. And they're probably in Rev Genius marketing channel talking about it, right? Like, so super, super interesting. And that's a great point to speak to the buyers, but specifically, I love that you went in that angle, but specifically speak to your buyers before you started that role. Or if you're recalibrating your sales approach, Speak to buyers in the last 30 days because your product evolves, right? So the last 30 days, the market is as close to it is today. Your product is as close as it is today, like it's probably the same. And the conditions are the same. So you're most likely to get the real answers for right now. Jared, that's great advice to any new, whether it's sales, marketing, or customer success professional, go out and talk to a few customers to understand what their experience really is. Yeah. Hey, one of the things I noticed about Rev Genius was you have this concept of clubs within the Rev Genius community. And yeah. I saw the Rev Data Club and you know, having a integrated data structure is key to having a revenue operations function. What led you to the introduction of clubs and what's the purpose of clubs within Rev Genius? I'm a huge fan of this question. And you know, we spoke about Clubhouse before. So inspiration galore, right? The purpose of clubs is we'll start here. As we were growing, hit 7,000 members, we realized like what happens when a micro community becomes a macro community? What's the number point of members that that happens? Or is it just a feeling? And I don't know if there's an answer to the number point, but it's certainly a feeling. And, and I know that goes against the data part. I'm sure there's more precise logic to that. But what we realized was we needed to create more individual experiences for our members that really spoke to their current job, their current goals, their current needs, and their current wants. And what I saw looking at some other examples, I mentioned the clubhouse example, and they're based on tons of clubs, is the ability to create, for lack of a better phrase, micro communities in our micro community that really connect more with folks. And the difference between clubs and a Slack channel, because we live in Slack today, is a Slack channel is just that, a channel in Slack. <laughs> a club is that plus some sort of regular cadence meeting where you could talk, break down best practices, have go nimbly speak to HubSpot, <laughs> have some other companies come in and really double down on what's needed 
by the people. And, you know, instead of having 7,000 people or 700 in a RevOps channel or more, you could have 70 people in a data club that are all really, really, really engaged. So we did that from a KPI standpoint, because I know this will foreshadow to those questions, to increase engagement. And that was super, super important for us. And also to rebuild the same sense of community that we had when we had 38 people in a LinkedIn group. And we thought that was super important. And our qualifications for starting clubs, if they're right or not, we're testing it is if you come to us with 15 people, 15 to 20 people that are interested in a topic, let's back it. Let's promote it internally. Let's promote it externally and let's build it out. Let's put a couple co-founders to it and let's give ownership to people in the community so that they can own and rock with it. Yeah. And that co-founder who leads or moderator, and I'm from the old school. I started my computer science career at a company called CompuServe. And we were the very first global online information service. And we have clubs of interest and every one of them had a moderator and a co-moderator. And the moderator's job was number one, to make sure everyone was engaged, but also that everyone felt heard and were actively involved. So is that what a co-founder of a club will be? Is kind of a moderator? Yeah, I don't love the nomenclature of moderator. It's kind of like, in my head, it's policer, right? Like, make sure you follow the rules. And I know that wasn't the case in what you were alluding to at all from the way you made it sound. But yes, essentially, they're the folks coming up with the topics. They're helping with engagement. In one of our clubs, they're creating flyers and creating contests within contests. I have to break that down a little bit. We have an outbound club where essentially it's outbound reps. And of course, their managers are interested in it, right? Because they want their folks to drive results. Top of the funnel, set meetings. They compete on Fridays. They finish the competition. They keep a leaderboard. And within there, there's a couple folks always at the top, as happens quite a bit. They're even making flyers promoting that. So that's cool to me. Like You're achieving and going for your job goals, but you're having fun doing it. And what's cool and why that can't be done in your company alone is because of a few reasons, right? Like maybe your company doesn't allow it, although they would if they saw that it did well and the KPIs were there hit. But also to realize that just because you're number one in the company, how is that in relation to others in your space? Is that really good or, or should we be pushing it higher? So you might have external competition that helps push you even higher. Maybe you're closing two meetings on a Friday and you're like, oh, this is great. This is the cat's meow. But now we're put into a group of 12 people and now number one is four meetings. So you're really getting pushed in ways that you couldn't in your company alone. So that's sure. pretty cool. I love that concept. It's similar to one of the reasons we created RevOps Squared in our KPI benchmarking index. So many organizations become so internally focused. It's like, was our close rate better than it was last quarter? Or is our customer acquisition cost ratio better than it was last quarter? And I'm saying, hey, I'm going to show you benchmarks of other companies like you out there. And you can compare yourself to your competition or other companies like you, not just to what you did last month or last quarter. So I love that concept, but I have a, a pet peeve and maybe it's my old school orientation. And that is, there are so many thought leaders and influencers out there on LinkedIn sharing advice. And by the way, far too much of the advice is either low quality or even bad advice. How do you go about, or is it more of an organic process of making sure that the information shared and advice shared in your community and your clubs are actually of high quality and valuable? This is a great question. And I slowly respond <laughs> cautiously because we always want to put the best things in front of people. 
Galen and I, we're a young company. It's early on. We have two people that are dedicated more than anything to this, but not 10, not 100, right? And we certainly don't have fact checkers in-house. So what we do is we rely on the community to tell us one anecdote that accentuates this a bit, but it could still fall through the cracks granted. But one anecdote was we want to put two speakers together on the sales topic. And one of them was like, I'm not going to speak with that other one. And we're like, okay, why? And she said that he's not necessarily spreading the right information and his credibility isn't there. So in that case, that weeded that out. Outside of that, you have to digest the content they put out there. As somebody with 15 years experience, I certainly don't know it all, but I have a little bit of a sifter, you know, in regards to what's far out there or not, and I'm getting better all the time. And we have people that were gracious enough that if we put somebody in an event that might've spread wrong information or not confirmed information, that's probably more accurate oftentimes, people tell us. So we could err once for sure, but we try not to get to the point where we are twice. We hold our community in high faith. Hey, Jared, any of us who have done startups- It's hard, man. (laughs) It's hard. Find opportunities to correct issues. So I totally get that. And you talked about engagement earlier. So are there other metrics or key performance indicators that you're going to be using to measure how the members see the value from the service you're providing? Yeah. So we haven't put these in place yet, but what I suspect is what we started to do is just understand what folks' goals are and probably try to standardize that. Is your goal to get a job? It's COVID-19. It's the hardest time of my life, personally. And I'm sure others empathize with that. Is it to get a promotion? Is it to get more money at your current job? We're going to be standardizing based on members' input what they could be looking for. Figure out who's looking for what and if they're attaining it and to what percentage and what degree. Makes total sense. And I know it's early days for you, but when you and Garen thought about this and you've been into it for a while now, how are you going to measure success at Rev Genius? Is it number yep. of members or what is it? So there's three gates to simplify it fully. And I'm and this is where I'm at today. This could change, but to keep it simple, acquisition, how many gross new members coming in? Engagement, are they engaged? What's our benchmark? Are we passing that? How much are we passing it by? And monetization, how much each member is worth from whatever our monetization principles are. And then how can we use that to double down on the other metrics to favorably get them up in a cost-effective way? Yeah, we didn't discuss this at all, but are you willing to talk about some of the monetization options that you see out there? Or is it too early? It's not too early. We have sponsors currently, and we have some more sponsors coming shortly. And we're really excited about that for our community. So that's one of the obvious ways. The two main ways, just looking at this obviously, is monetize sponsors and or monetize members. On the member side of things, right now, we're not charging anybody to be here. And I foresee us not charging folks for what they're getting already. I have a new philosophy that I came up with recently. Knowledge should be free. Execution maybe is paid for, right? Like you should know how to practice law with a public library book, but to actually do it, you might need some help and things to that effect. So if we were to build something in, it would be a freemium type of offering, but I'm not rushing to that. And the reason why is because we're in something so new that I think rushing to that might end up limiting us in creativity for monetization. We're five months old. So could it be something like a Patreon business model? 
could be like where the clubs are monetizing each individually, right? And the percentage comes to the house. Could it be members have a monthly reoccurring subscription? Yeah. I mean, that's the most obvious one. Could it be per event? It could be, but I'm personally leaning against that because that's just not easy. It's not equal. So you have an event that costs $100 and nine other events that week that are free. You're going to obviously put the one that can get you money in front of the others because it benefits your business. I don't think that's necessarily right for the member. So we haven't set our path on that. Sponsors were continuously thinking about how to make it more organic feeling because we realized we need the money to operate, but we also don't want to put it in folks' faces as much as they're getting it in other places, wherever they are. Yeah. I think that's a very fair question. Six months into it. A couple of my best professional friends, one was the co-founder of LinkedIn. And I still <laughs> remember talking to Constantine back in 2002. And he goes, you know, Ray, I don't know what the revenue model is going to be. What I know is we're going to have a member first model where we're going to say what's best for our members. How can they enhance their career and expand their network? And the money will take care of itself. And then the second friend of mine was Google employee number 13. He calls himself Googler 13. And he's like, you know, we had 17 different revenue generating models before we finally hit AdWords. So it's not too early. You're going to experiment and you're going to find some things work and some things don't. And that's fine. Just my only Thank advice you. is member Thank first, man. Thank you. And Blitzscaling by Reed Hoffman is one of my most recent reads, and that's spectacular. And a good friend of Rev Genius was a critical part of the launch of Sales Navigator. So definitely pinging him from time to time too. Good for you. Well, we're about ready to wrap up on today's version of the Metrics of Major Up podcast. Jared, is there any insights or advice you want to give to revenue professionals out there regarding the benefits of a community like Rev Genius? Yes. So the benefits of any community are great. And let me start this by saying, until I got into technology, I was very much a do my day job and go home at the end of the day. If I wanted to improve, level up or whatever, I didn't go towards communities. And I actually didn't even have, maybe I had mentors, but I would get a mentor for a specific purpose, i.e. I want to get a promotion. I went once or twice. I didn't get it. Let me bring somebody else in to ensure that the third time I do. Okay, so I was very focused like that. And I used LinkedIn for outbound sales. I used it to connect with prospects, be very me thinking. Times, fortunately for all of us, have changed. The consumer's more demanding, and rightfully so. We're more demanding, right? So of course, the people we sell to are as well. And we're more skeptical, we're more conscious, we're more perceptive than ever, okay? And we're more active than ever outside of work. So if you want to take your job, your profession, your career, and your life as serious as possible, it's great to connect with others in a meaningful way. LinkedIn is phenomenal, but LinkedIn has a bit of a social media element to it, right? Where a lot of stuff is surface level. If you want to get deeper and build real one-to-one -one relationships with people for the purposes of getting a job, getting advanced, getting business, et cetera, Joining communities is that. And what's great is you're going to get tons of programming in RevGenius at no cost, right? So incredibly exceptional. And, you know, I use this anecdote because people that are sellers say, how do you sell in a community? You got to sell. You got to get that money. And I laugh and I say, frankly, don't try to sell to another person. Often that's against the guidelines. That's against our guidelines. It's better for you to go in and say, hey, 
I need help selling and watch everybody come to you, give you different tactics, give you different introductions, et cetera. How we build our community, and I used the word empathy earlier, but let's in closing say this. One of our values is community is family. In family, you fight, but at the end of the day, you're with them. Our people in our community are genuinely selfless. So in closing, if you want real connections and real business, you reach out from you to one client in a community that might fizzle. You reach out and you say, I need help getting many clients. And you're going to have multiple people there to help you, multiple programming to go to. And after a short period of time, frequently a month or two, you're going to have achieved far more than your goals. That's big. Totally agree. And it's funny. I talked a little bit about old school when there used to be the ABCs, right? Always be closing. Yes, sir. Today, whenever I have a chance to mentor early career people, I say, always be helping and always be learning. And if you can do those two things, you're going to have a really successful career in a profession of revenue generation. You hit the nail on the head and we're going in the right direction. It's so great. Hey, Jared, thank you for being a guest on today's Metrics That Measure Up podcast and best of luck to you and your Rev Genius team. And I want to invite you back in a year and see how things are going. Ray, I'd be honored. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics That Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.